This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. This episode is brought to you by the Craftsbury Outdoor Center. Craftsbury is excited to kick off the 2020 season. So excited, they are offering 30% off select early season dates. Go to craftsbury.com backslash nnpod to save 30% off of your trail side lodging, including bountiful, fresh local food and all your skiing on the center's man-made and natural loops. That's craftsbury.com backslash nnpod. And in this episode, we speak with Rosie Brennan, who comes off a career best on the World Cup. Named the A-team on the U.S. ski team for the first time, Brennan appears primed to capitalize on her fitness and confidence. We get the lowdown on her recovery from a debilitating virus in 2018 and her role as an athlete representative at U.S. Ski and Snowboard. We spoke to Brennan for the podcast as she finished up a ski team training camp based in Park City, Utah. You had a training camp, like how long does that roll and what is that like for you? You know, specifically, I suppose, as a distance skier, how do they organize the weeks or two weeks for you? Yeah, I mean, this year was pretty different because we were split between Lake Placid and Park City. So that was kind of like a little new experiment. I mean, Park City is kind of like home for me. So um, and I enjoy it. I think the altitude training is, is really beneficial. So for me, it was no question but to come to Park City. But because it was a smaller group and most of us were from APU, Eric Flora had, I guess, you know, quite a bit of say in the training plan and stuff. So the training was, you know, pretty normal for me. And I actually ended up getting a cold the first week. So um, my camp was a little shortened. <laughs> I just, I pretty much just did the second week. So yeah, but it was good. <laughs> okay. And so like normal for you, I'm kind of curious, like what does normal look like for you? Like a couple intensity sessions for the week, um, two speed sessions, two strengths, uh, two plyo sessions, and then um, distance, which I I don't know. I'm probably, well, I haven't added up my log yet, but it's probably like somewhere between 20 and 25 hours. To drill down on this a little bit, when you're talking about intensity sessions and speed sessions, you you were differentiating. So how might those look for you? Well, because I was coming off a, a cold and we were at altitude, I, I just stuck to level three, um, but the camp did have two time trials. I just chose not to participate to make sure my health was good. So yeah, so I was doing level three and then speed is like, I don't know, 10 to 15 seconds. After the initial maybe races in period one during the 2018 year, the Olympic year, you were diagnosed with mono. And is that how you describe it? Do you call it Epstein-Barr or do you call it mono? I'm just curious what how you refer to it. I've just been calling it a virus. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, a bad virus. <laughs> Historically, were you someone who would, for better or for worse, run yourself into the ground if you got sick? You know, I got to train. I got to get the hours in. Or were you still mindful of like, you know what? It really doesn't matter. A week down when you're sick in the big picture isn't going to impact things. Like, I'm just curious, like pre-diagnosis and post, how that might be different. I don't think it really changed. And, you know, especially like getting sick, like in the middle of the season and like heading, knowing that I was heading towards the Olympics, like I was doing just whatever I could to make myself feel better. Um, 
and not knowing at that point like what I had just knowing that something wasn't quite right I was definitely like not worried about the training at all just more worried about like how I could get myself back racing I mean this past week when I got a cold like it was a little more stressful because it was in the middle of camp and you know I wanted to be training with all my teammates but uh, you know then I chose not to do the tentiles to like err on the safe side because yeah having I guess having had that experience that's not something I really want to go through again you know when you feel like under the weather are you still able to kind of keep relatively chill about it or you're like oh my gosh you know here's the onset of some unknown virus again or are you sort of <laughs> like I mean I just I'm thinking about like if I were in the same situation how I might you know, yeah. it's my livelihood it's my profession you know and and you have a window right. it's like oh gosh yeah how do you handle that yeah um, I think I'm far enough removed now that I'm not super stressed. Um, I guess the the symptoms when I did have the virus were like kind of specific. Like I wasn't really ill. Like I didn't have like I wasn't like sneezing or coughing or stuffed up or anything like that. So I think if I ever had if those symptoms started to come back, then I think I would panic. But when it feels very much just like your standard cold, then I guess I'm not quite as stressed because I feel like that's probably going to go away. <laughs> You obviously, you know, either changed something up or maybe it was more how you were centering mentally, who knows, but you had a really, you know, I think by any benchmark, a really successful season last year. And I'm kind of curious, like, what did you maybe do differently or the same this past summer to prep? You know, you're kind of coming in with... I don't think I personally don't want to project any expectations onto you, but you had a great year, right? And so like, yeah. how are you, yeah, how did you kind of reset the beginning of this training year thinking like, okay, I, I should do this or I shouldn't do that. And uh, yeah, kind of how did that play out? And yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's, it's hard anytime you make a big jump in a year. Um, and I mean, all of last summer, like I'm, I mean, I guess I was very confident I was going to make that jump because my training just like I could feel it in my training every day. And so when you have those kinds of feelings, I think it's hard to like then you start to expect those feelings of yourself like every single day. But, you know, you don't make like huge improvements every single year. <laughs> so I definitely think that's been like a little bit of a challenge for me this summer, just like being okay with just normal, I guess, and not just feeling like out of this world all the time. But it's also been like a really great summer. Like I, I mean, until I got this little cold last week, like I hadn't had any illness, any injury, like I hadn't missed a training session for anything. Um, everything had gone, you know, perfectly as planned. So, I mean, I have to take a lot of confidence in that and I, and I can't really, you know, be too hard on myself um, because yeah, there's no doubt that, that the training was good. And so I'm, I'm confident in my fitness. And I think now it's just, like um, trying to find some of those really exceptional feelings to get ready for the races. I forget who it is up in Alaska, but he refers to like Eric Floor as like the coach whisperer. You know, he sort of like has innate abilities to work magic um, and really get the most out of athletes. This summer or the summer prior when you were coming out of your illness, you know, who did you rely on most to, you know, longitudinally think, okay, I have to build towards this season and get stronger. But at the same time, you're coupling that with, you don't want to wear yourself out to the point where it's, you know, you tip in the wrong direction. Kind of curious, like where you got advice and what was really helpful for you? Yeah. I mean, Eric's definitely, um, 
a big part of all my training <laughs> for the last many years. Um, and so, he, yeah, he, I think what he does so well is just observe us. Um, he can like, he's really great at like knowing where we are just from watching us train, which is like, yeah, an exceptional coach quality. <laughs> so, you know, he can tell like, okay, like she's starting to push too hard. Like she needs a break and then, you know, he'll talk to me and like, we'll adjust the training or whatever, or like, oh, things are like still going good. Like, let's just stay with the plan. So he definitely like keeps, keeps an eye on me. And then, I mean, and my teammates, you know, like we, at AP, we have such like an exceptional girls group and we work together really well and so you know I'm spending so much time with them so you kind of um, can tell where you're at and you know they'll you know they'll definitely say something if I'm like god that was like just so hard you know Sadie might be like well you're probably pretty tired you know like you know we'll talk about those things and it's like a very supportive and and friendly environment it's not at all like in in a negative way a very positive way. So yeah, so I do have some checks and balances, which is good. And I know you guys, I mean, you guys are all adults, right? I mean, you're, how old are you now? You're mid to late 20s? 30. Oh, you're 30. You're like, yeah, not quite middle age. <laughs> okay. So you're like, for sure an adult, right? And I would, all of you are adults. Yes. And I think it's that classic, you know, like junior symptom where, you know, everybody's, they're just uber competitive and it's really hard for a junior skier not to always go hard, right? If they're just a competitive kid yeah. or around yeah. their friends or their peers, their teammates, four out of five days turns into kind of like a empty L3, L4 session because they're just trying to kill themselves every yeah. day to keep up or to beat their buddy. How is, and again, I preface that with like, you guys are all adults and you're professionals and you've all been through this before, but yeah, how do you temper yourself? Like, oh gosh, I'm you're either killing it in a session and Sadie's dropping back or vice versa. Yeah. You know, how do you keep yourself honest and not sort of fall back into that the bad habits of a junior that's trying to kill all the time? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel really fortunate to be so close with Sadie. Um I we for whatever reason, we just have always like since we were 16 or 17 when we first met we've just always had a relationship where we've been able to be really supportive of each other and not like crazy competitive and I don't really know why that is because there's definitely some people that I do feel that like competitive push with that I have to kind of beat all the time and for whatever reason Sadie's just not one of those people and so training with her has just been like probably a career saving (laughs) move for me um and so we just yeah we just are always supportive and and we know each other so well like we know each other's strengths like there's some things that like I think she will always beat me at and some things I'll probably always beat her at but you know we just like yeah are able to support each other and you know talk about things during the session and after the session and when someone has a hard day like you know maybe offer some some help and when they're doing great like also compliment them on like what they were doing so well that day and so that's been like super positive and I think uh, our younger girls have really just jumped right into that and been a been a good part of that. So I think um, that will remain the remain the same through through our time at APU, I hope, <laughs> and beat past us. <laughs> so I'm assuming you're eyeing at least another I always get confused with the cycles here. So there's this season, another season, and then the third winner will be another Olympics. Yeah. 
and I don't want to get ahead of myself or you to get ahead of yourself, but is that sort of the, t- the tentative plan at this point to see it through another cycle? I don't know. I, I've been really just going year by year at, at this point in my career and, and seeing, you know, where my motivation's at. So I can't say. <laughs> um, how do you stay motivated? Well, it hasn't been a problem so far, so I don't know. I just, um, I think it helps having like such a great group um, to work with, like, we all have big goals and we're excited to help each other reach them. So it's kind of like every day is, is an opportunity to, to get there. And, and that's motivating. Um, I think that's pretty helpful. And then it also helps dating a skier. <laughs> then you're in it together. So it just kind of becomes your lifestyle. So, and, and I love the lifestyle. So I, yeah, don't really want to give that up <laughs> just yet. So yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> How is that other skier? How's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> He's doing great. Okay. Uh, how tall is he? Uh, six one, maybe almost six two. Really? Yeah, he's he, he's still okay. taller than he is. <laughs> you obviously work super closely with Flora, and the U.S. ski team kind of has their own structure and hierarchy. The coaches work in concert. I know with with club coaches like Patrick O'Brien or Eric Flora. Who is your kind of go to on the US ski team, you know, when you'll be in Europe or when you're in Europe to kind of uh cross reference the training plan, executing races and just making sure like, you know, you're you're staying tuned but obviously not revving the engine too much. Who would that person be? Um it's still pretty much Flora. I like we are all assigned someone, so technically my person is Cork. Yeah, and he's like great to have on the road and um is certainly helpful anytime I need anything really but in terms of like all my training and talking over races and things like that um i still just like call flora and kind of kind of work work with him and is he also the go-to person for like when you're talking about strategies that a specific you know if you're going to davos and i think usually there's like a it's either a five or ten k skate one day i forget but it's usually is, is that correct yeah. it's usually like an interval start skate yeah. so and it's at altitude i assume you like that? Would he be the go-to person that you're talking to, to about, you know, strategies, where to push it on the course, even if he may not be in Europe? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's like seen a lot of the courses at this point. And then, you know, I also like Sadie would be my other person, um, just knowing each other's training background so well and like knowing what Floor would say. <laughs> I think we can often tell each other what Floor would tell us. <laughs> What what would he what would be kind of typical advice for a skier? Like I know all skiers have different sort of at positive attributes and negative attributes when it comes to, you know, how they want to ski a course. What do you hear over and over from coaches them telling you to sort of exploit your strengths? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, Floor is like really like he doesn't really get that technical with us, you know, like specific sections of the course and stuff. It's more like general ideas and I'm not really one to hold back and that's, I don't know, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but he doesn't really, he kind of just supports that and, and lets me go for it and will often tell me just to like, yeah, use my, use whatever strengths I have, which for me is always the uphills and, you know, my weakness is the, the downhills. And so um, he's really big on just like kind of capitalizing on your, on your strengths and not so much during your weaknesses or like, you know, planning a whole round, a whole race around a small weakness that you may have, but just kind of figuring out on the positive end, like where you can make up the most time. I was going over the World Cup schedule with someone yesterday and it's, 
I, I mean, just from looking at the density of it, it seems pretty, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dense with races, lots of races. Maybe if you're not doing a sprint, you've got a break here and there, but just like it is packed with race after race and obviously lots of travel. I'm curious, like what in particular other certain races in, you know, period one, two, three, four that you're like, okay, this, this either course suits my style or distance or technique. I'm, you know, what are you most looking forward to? Um, yeah, it's been a super challenging year um, because I, I feel like I can't uh, do everything. I don't think that's, that's sustainable for me personally. So I've had to like make choices and, that's always really hard because I also love to race and I guess I get some FOMO when I don't get to race. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've kind of had to pick some of my strengths. So I'm definitely, I've definitely chosen to skip some of the sprint weekends. Um, just knowing that I'm a stronger distance skier um, and I'm planning to do both the tours. So that's kind of, that takes up a lot of energy and big sections of the season. So I think I will probably try to, structure my other races kind of around feeling good for those tours. And for the middle part of the season, I haven't really figured out what that looks like um, in between the two tours. Um, it'll kind of depend on how I come out of that first tour, um, if I'm doing well or if I need some more rest or or how that's going to go. But for period one, I will be racing um, the first three weekends and yeah, definitely looking forward to Davos. Um, that's suits a lot of my strengths. But also um, the first two venues are, are good too. I those are all venues that I've raced at quite a bit now. Um, so it's kind of, I don't know, you know what to expect. And yeah, it seems a little less daunting, I guess. So. Okay. So what exactly is your role at U.S. Ski and Snowboard? Um, I'm the cross-country athlete rep uh, to the board of directors. Well, I'm curious, like, so what does that entail? What does being an athlete rep to the board mean? Um, yeah, it's like a, it's a pretty broad job. So there's like... Yeah, so I'm the cross-country athlete rep to the board, but then there's also each sport has like a sport committee. So we have a cross-country sport committee, which is, you know, all the meetings that go on in May during the Congress. And mostly the sport committee sorting out, you know, the Super Tour calendar, criteria, junior schedules, like all that sort of thing. And so I also serve on that. And, that's, and then there's three other additional athlete reps just to the sport committee. And so that's Todd Elliott, Dakota Blackhorse on Jess, and Caitlin Patterson. And so they just serve on the sport committee. And so I help them on the sport committee. And then I also work with the board of directors, which is U.S. Ski and Snowboard as a whole organization. Um, and so I'm part of the athlete council, which is one athlete from every sport. Um, and it's been a really great group to be a part of. It's, it's a super motivated group, very um, bright and creative uh, and, and very excited to try to make a positive difference in in our respective sports and in the organization as a whole at least the past couple of years i have spent more time um working kind of in that capacity and less time in, in the specific cross-country side especially with the addition of our three other athlete reps they can do so much on their own too and so we do things like well i mean this year the past few years have been um pretty big we were pretty instrumental in getting the and having the athlete project report done which i think that's public now or it should be <laughs> um and that's well what yeah what is what is that it was a big study they did on on the organization as a whole uh mckinsey did did the projects and so and they they have published um some at least yeah some form of the results um to the public and so 
there was a lot of dissatisfaction from the athletes in, in terms of like how they were treated. And I think that kind of resonates with sport across the world right now, especially Olympic sport. There's just a lot of movements to increase athletes' rights and, and be more cautious with athletes and treat them as like a whole person and not just kind of a commodity. And so that was, you know, that held true within ski and snowboard. And so um, there's been uh, tons of initiatives to try and and make this better and improve the situation for athletes and for staff um, and sponsors and, you know, the whole organization. And so we've been working really closely with the administration to kind of monitor how some of these projects are going and to provide feedback for them um, and to provide, you know, our input on, on, you know, what, if, what projects we think are successful and which are kind of a waste of time and all that sort of thing. So that's been kind of what the last two years have been, been comprised of which yeah it's been a big project but it's also been really rewarding because um there have been changes and and being on the team like I see the changes more directly than a lot of the other athlete representatives that are retired now so I kind of provide a unique perspective in that sense so yeah it's been a really engaging and neat group to be a part of yes I mean that can be difficult too to I mean like you prefaced your statement with I mean it is a time the past two years where it's been like, um, I don't know if anyone, I mean, I feel like no one should be surprised that of all the revelations that have come out about mistreatment, mistreatment of athletes from sexual abuse to bullying to just no clear definition of like what are best practices. And then once best practices are established to have constant reinforcement or continuing education, um, so I don't think anybody, I mean, like it, that's pretty, it's out there, right? I mean, yeah, everyone yeah. hopefully is working towards that goal now. Did you ever feel like there was a tension because, you know, one, you're, you know, you've had a really fascinating career where you're on the team, you're on the U S ski team, then you're off the U S ski team, then you're on again you're also serving in some capacity as an athlete rep to, you know, the organization that the team is, you know, it's the umbrella organization for the national team. And then there's all these sort of tensions there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. How did you navigate that? Um, I mean, I, I, well, I try really hard to be as, as unbiased as I can. And I also see like serving in this position as my opportunity to make the experience better for future athletes so that whatever maybe complaints or frustrations I had as an athlete, like hopefully future athletes don't have those problems. Um, so I see it as kind of my way to, to kind of fix what, what went wrong for me. And so that's, I, I mean, to me, that's really empowering and, and it makes me feel like, you know, my, my career is maybe giving back to, to somebody else in the future um, that hopefully can, you know, miss some of the bad parts of my career and have a even better career. So it, it hasn't been, yeah, I haven't had that hard of a time navigating it. And I mean, I do like have to, I mean, I talk to Grover quite often then, um, you know, if there's issues or things that need to come forward, but I don't feel like that's been a problem. Uh, and if there is something that, you know, maybe I feel like I'm going to, you know, if I'm fearing retribution or something like that, um, I would just go through someone else on the athlete council uh, and I'm really fortunate because Holly Brooks is the USOC athlete rep and then Keegan is the IOC athlete rep. And so they're both kind of engaged in the US Ski and Snowboard Athlete Council as well. 
and to kind of, you know, navigate that channel up and down. And so they also um, can, you know, provide me with, with aid if, if I feel like, you know, there's a conflict of interest or um, something like that. And in cross-country specific stuff, um, that's been really helpful to have the extra athlete reps. Tad and Dakota being retired um, are the athlete reps that kind of serve on, you know, selection committees or things like that, that Caitlin and I um, would have a clear conflict of interest. Uh, so, yeah, so, so far we've been able to navigate that and like, you know, for like Olympic and world championship discretion selection, like there is an athlete that has to serve on, on that selection. And it's just been Holly since I, um, since that's a conflict of interest for me. So, so far it's been, um, pretty easy to navigate that and, and it's, yeah, it's been totally positive. So I, I don't, I haven't had problems with that. Were you, I mean, I probably should ask, I should ask your mom this, but were you someone growing up? who was not only sort of innately confident enough to be in a role like that, um, but also had parenting that was like, <laughs> and I always hesitate because questioning an authority is one thing, right? I mean, you don't want to, <laughs> right? I mean, that can be, that can be perceived like you're just the person who's constantly poking your eye, put your finger in the eye of authority yeah. or there's kind of like mindful yeah. questioning, Right. I mean, there's a little bit of a difference, I suppose. Um, yeah. What kind of kid were you growing up uh, in terms of being in roles like that and being able to sort of simultaneously kind of have the 10,000 foot view and be like, OK, I see people doing this and doing that and then being right there on the ground, you know, questioning and trying to move towards building like changes. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I will tell you, I ended up doing this role like kind of not by mistake, but not with like fully knowing what I was getting myself into. I, I think I came to practice one day and I was complaining to Eric about something I thought was wrong or still, I don't know, I didn't like. And, and he was like, well, if you guys are going to like complain about stuff, like you should take action. And then literally like the next day there was an email about running for athlete rep. And I was like, I think it's a sign. <laughs> and I didn't really know what I was running for. but I was like, I guess I'll try. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it wasn't like, I guess, fully my intention to be in this role, but I did value Eric's point and thought, you know, that is true. Like it's, you know, what's the point in complaining if you don't do anything about it? And I never, I never like, like, you know, I wasn't part of like student council or anything like that. Like growing up, I was, I'm most of the time pretty shy and, and kind of just keep to myself. Um, I always have valued a team though. Um, I, and like kind of the leadership on a team. Um, and I think that started with my cross country running team. Uh, there was like one year in particular that we really struggled with our coaches. Uh, and I found it like a really unique opportunity to kind of like step up and try to make our team like believe in ourselves, regardless of what our coaches thought. And so I guess I've always had some like kind of aspect of that of like wanting to be part of a strong group that, you know, stands for something and can make a difference. Um, but I've never been like that active in it, I guess. So, um, but I guess now's my chance. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, hopefully, well, it sounds like you're excited for the season. So yeah, yeah, for sure. That's good. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. And just a note here, uh, please support the kind folks and companies who help support Faster Skier. 
And remember, the Craftsbury Outdoor Center will be open for the 2019-2020 season with skiing on November 15th, which is actually today. Thanks. Thanks.